Chapter Twenty Two of We of the Never Never. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. We of the Never Never by Jeanie Gunn. Chapter Twenty Two. As a matter of course, Bertie's Nellie quietly gathered the reins of management into her own hands, and as a matter of course, Jimmy's Nellie indulged in ear-splitting continuous protest, and Brown of the Bulls expressed himself as satisfied so far with the entertaining powers of the homestead. As a matter of course, we left the servant problem to work out its own solution, and also as a matter of course, the sanguine Scott was full of plans for the future but particularly bubbling over with the news that he had secured tam o'shanter for a partner in the brumby venture he'll be along in a few days he explained confident that he was in luck this time all right and remembering tam among the horses at the catherine we congratulated him as a matter of course our conversation was all of brumby's and mac was also convinced that when you reckoned everything up there was a good thing in it of course it'll take a bit of jumping round he agreed but the wet was to be devoted to the building of a strong holding yard a trap and a wing so as to be able to get going directly the wet lifted and knowing the run well and the extent of the brumby mobs on it mac then and there set to work to calculate the sized mob that it could be got together after the wet listening with interest to the account of our brumby encounters out east but long before we had done with brumbies cheon was announcing dinner in his own peculiar way dinner missus boss all about he chanted standing in the open doorway nearest to us and as we responded to his call he held the door of the dining net and glided into the details of his menu vegetable soup he sang roast beef peas beans two martos marrow and listening we felt brown of the bulls was being right royally welcomed with as many vegetables as were good for him but the sweets shrank into a simple bakey custard well, this is what you might call style mac and brown of the bulls declared as cheon waved them to seats with the air of an emperor and for two courses the dinner went forward according to its menu but at the third course tin peaches had usurped the place of the bakey custard Everyone looked surprised but being of the bush folk accepted peaches and cream without comment until Cheon seeing the surprise and feeling an explanation was due anyway to the missus bent over her and whispered in a hoarse aside Pussycat bean tuck out custard for a moment the bushmen bent over their plates intent on peaches and cream but there is a limit to even a bushman's dignity and with a choking gulp mac exploded and brown of the bulls joining in with a roar dragged down the maluka's self-control and as cheon reiterated what name all about laugh missus chuckled in sympathy himself brown of the bulls pulled himself together for a moment once more to assure us that he was satisfied so far but the day's entertainment was only just beginning for after comparing weights and heights mac jack dan and brown of the bulls entered into a trial of strength and a heavy rail having been brought down from the stack yard the cabber was tossed before an enthusiastic company 
The homestead thoroughfare was the arena, and around it stood or sat the onlookers. The quarters, travelers, Happy Dick, some of the line party, the Maluka, the Misses, and others. And as the caber pitched and tossed, Cheon came and went, cheering every throw lustily with charming impartiality, beating up a frothy cake mixture the while, until finally the cakes being in the oven, he was drawn with others into the competition. A very jaunty, confident Cheon entered the lists, but a very surprised, chagrined Cheon retired in high dudgeon. "'What's her matter?' he said indignantly. "'Him too muchy heavy fellow. Suppose him little fellow me chuck him all right,' explaining a comical failure with even more comical explanations. Soon after the retirement of our crestfallen Cheon, Hot cakes were served by a Cheon all rotundity and chuckles once more. But immediately afterwards a snort of indignation riveted our attention on an exceedingly bristling dignified Cheon, who was glaring across the enclosure at two of our neighbor's black boys, one of whom was the bearer of a letter, and the other of a long yellow vegetable marrow. Right up to the house veranda they came, and the letter was presented to the Maluka and the marrow to the missus in the presence of Cheon's glare and an intense silence, for most of the bushfolk had heard of the cabbage insult. Cheon had seen to that. Hope you will wish me luck while enjoying my little gift, said the letter, and mistaking its double meaning, I felt really vexed with our neighbor, and passing the marrow to Cheon, reflected a little of his bristling dignity as I said, this is of no use to anyone here, Cheon. You had better take it away. And as Cheon accepted it with a grateful look, those about the veranda and those without the garden waited expectantly. But there was to be no unseemly rage this time. In dignified silence, Cheon received the marrow, a sinuous yellow insult. And as the homestead waited, he raised it above his head, and stalking majestically from us towards the finished part of the fence, flung it from him in contemptuous scorn, adding a satisfied snort as the marrow, striking the base of a fence-post, burst asunder, and the next moment, after a flashing swoop, he was groveling under the wires, making frantic efforts to reach a baby bottle of whiskey that had rolled from within the marrow away beyond the fence. Cognac, he gasped as he struggled, and then as shouts greeted his speedy success, he sat up, adding comically, My word, me close up smash him cognac. At the thought came his inevitable laughter, and as he leaned against the fence post, surrounded by the shattered marrow, he sat hopelessly gurgling and choking and shaking and hugging his bottle, the very picture of a dissolute old bacchanalian. Cheon would have excelled as a rapid change artist, and as Cheon gurgled and spluttered and shook, the homestead rocked with yells of delight, while Brown of the Bulls rolled and writhed in a canvas lounge, gasping between his shouts, Oh, chase him away, somebody! Cover him up! Where did you catch him? Finally, Cheon scrambled to his feet, and, perspiring and exhausted, presented the bottle to the Maluka. My word, me cross fellow, he said weakly, and then, bubbling over again at the recollection, he chuckled, Close up, smash him, cognac, all right. And at the sound of the chuckle, Brown of the Bulls broke out afresh. Chase him away, he yelled. You'll kill me between you. 
I never struck such a place. Is it a circus or a Wild West show? Gravely the Maluka accepted the bottle and with the same mock gravity answered Brown of the Bulls It is neither my man he said neither a circus nor a Wild West show This is the land the poets sing about the land where dull despair is king Brown of the Bulls naturally wished some of the poets were about now and Dan having joined the house party found a fitting opportunity to air one of his pet grievances I've never done wishing some of them town chaps that write bush yarns would come along and learn a thing or two He said most of them seem to think that when we're not on the drink We're whipping the cat or committing suicide Rarely had Dan any excuse to offer for those town chaps who without troubling to learn a thing or two first depict the bush as a pandemonium of drunken orgies painted women low revenge remorse and suicide but being in a more magnanimous mood than usual as the men folks flocked towards the quarters he waited behind to add unconscious of any irony of course seeing it's what they're used to in town you can't expect them to know any better then in the quarters luck to our neighbor was the toast luck and the hope that all his ventures might be successfully carried through as his practical joke after that the maluka gravely proposed Cheon, and Cheon instantly became statuesque and dignified to the further diversion of Brown of the Bulls, gravely accepting a thimbleful for himself, and as gravely drinking his own health, the maluka just as gravely clinking glasses with him. And from that day to this, when Cheon wishes to place the maluka on a fitting pedestal, he ends his long, long tale with a triumphant boss been knock glass long at me one time happy dick and peter filled in time for the quarters until sundown when cheon announced supper there with an inspired call of cognac and then as if to prove that we're not always on the drink or whipping the cat or committing suicide that we can love and live for others besides self Neve's mate came down from the little rise beyond the slip rails where he had spent his day carving a headstone out of a rough slab of wood that now stood at the head of our sick traveler's grave. Not always on the drink, or whipping the cat, or committing suicide, but too often at the parting of the ways, for within another twelve hours the travelers, Happy Dick, the line party, Neve's mate, Brown of the Bulls, and Mac, had all gone or were going their ways leaving us to go ours Brown back to hold his bulls at the red lilies until further showers should open up all roads and Mac to pick up Tam But in the meantime Dan had become showman of the showers See anything he asked soon after sunup waving his hands toward the northern slip rails as we stood at the head of the thoroughfare speeding our parting guests and then he drew attention to the faintest greenish tinge throughout the homestead enclosure such a clean washed looking enclosure now that's going to be grass soon he said and the sun coming out with renewed vigor after another shower and by midday he had gathered a handful of tiny blades half an inch in length with a chuckling what did i tell you by the next midday grass inches tall was rippling all around the homestead in the now prevalent northwest breeze and dan was preparing for a trip out bush to see where the showers had fallen and mac and tam coming in as he went out 
Mac greeted us with a jocular, the flats get greener every year about the Elsie. Indeed, we said, and Mac, overcome with confusion, spluttered an apology. Oh, I say, look here, I didn't mean to hit off at the missus, you know. And then catching the twinkle in Tam's eyes, stopped short, and with a characteristic shrug, reckoned he was making a fair mess of things. Mac would never be other than our impetuous brother Scott, distinct from all other men, for the bush never robs her children of their individuality. In some mysterious way she clean-cuts out the personality of each of them, and keeps it sharply clean-cut, and just as Mac stood apart from all men, so Tam also stood apart, the quiet, self-reliant man, though we had seen among the horses, for that was the real man. And as Mac builds castles and made calculations, Tam put his shoulder to the drudgery, and before Mac quite knew what had happened, he was hauling logs and laying foundations for a Brumby trap in the southeast country, while Bertie's Nellie found herself obliged to divide her attention between the homestead and the Brumby camp. As Mac hauled and drudged, the melons paid their first dividend. Half past eleven, four weeks drew near. Just so stories did all they could, and Dan coming in found the quiet stockman away back in the days of old, deep in a simply written volume of Scottish history. Dan had great news of the showers, but had to find other audience than Jack, for he was away in a world of his own, and bent over the little volume, was standing shoulder to shoulder with his Scottish fathers, fighting with them for his nation. All evening he followed where they led, enduring and suffering, and mourning with them and rejoicing over their final victory, with a ringing, You can't beat the Scots, as the little volume coming to with a bang, roused the quarters at midnight. You can't beat the Scots, missus, he repeated, coming over in the morning for more of that sort, all unconscious how true he was to type, as he stood there, flushed with the victories of his forefathers, a strong young Scot, with a newly conquered world of his own, at his feet. As we hunted for more of that sort, through a medley of odds and ends, the quiet stockman scanned the titles and dipped here and there into unknown worlds, and Dan, coming by, stared open-eyed. "'You don't say he's got the whole mob mouthed and reined and schooled in all the paces,' he gasped. But Jack put aside the word of praise. "'There's writing and spelling yet,' he said. And Dan, with his interest in book-learning reviving, watched the square chin setting squarer, and was bewildered. "'Seems to have struck a mob of brumbies,' he commented. But before Jack could get properly going with the brumbies, two travellers rode into the homestead, supporting between them a third rider a man picked up off the track, delirious with fever and foodless, and at the sight of his ghastly face our hearts stood still with fear. But the man was one of the Scots, another Mac of the race that loves a good fight, and his plucky heart stood by him so well that within twenty-four hours he was lying contentedly in the shade of the quarters, looking on, while the homestead shared the fizzer's welcome with Mac and Tam and a traveller or two. Out of the south came the fizzer, lapping once more in his saddle with the year's dry stages behind him and the set lines all gone from his shoulders shouting as he came hello what ho here's a crowd of us but on his return trip the fizzer was a man of leisure and we had to wait for news until his camp was fixed up now for it he shouted 
at last joining the company and mac felt the time was ripe for his jocular greeting and ogling the fizzer noticed that the flats get greener every year about the elsie but the fizzer was a dangerous subject to joke with so i've noticed he shouted as improving on max ogle he singled him out from the company then dropping his voice to an insinuating drawl he challenged him to have a deal instantly the sanguine scot became a canny scot for mac prided himself on a horse deal and as no one had yet got the better of the fizzer the company gathered round to enjoy itself a swap suggested the fizzer and mac agreeing with a right ho a preliminary handshake was exchanged before getting to business and then as each made a great presence of mentally reviewing his team each eyed the other with the shrewdness of a fighting cock my brown mare mac offered at last and knowing the staunch little beast the homestead wondered what mac had up his sleeve we explained our suspicions in asides to the travelers but the fizzer seemed taken by surprise by george he said she's a stunner i've nothing fit to put near her excepting that upstanding chestnut down there the chestnut was standing near the creek crossing and everyone knowing him well and sure of that something up mac's sleeve feared for the fizzer as mac's hand came out with a done and the fizzer gripped it with a clinching right hole naturally we waited for the denouement and the fizzer appearing unsuspicious and well pleased with the deal we turned our attention to the sanguine scot mac felt the unspoken flattery and with an introductory cough and a great show of indifference said by the way perhaps i should have mentioned it but the brown mare's down with the puffs since the showers and looked around the company for approval but the fizzer was filling the homestead with shoutings don't apologize he yelled that's nothing the chestnut's just broken his leg can't think how he got here this'll save me the trouble of shooting him and then dropping back to that chuckling drawl and reassuming the ogle he added the flats get greener every year about the elsie and with a good-humored laugh mac asked if any other gentleman felt on for a swap naturally for a while the conversation was all of horse deals until happy dick coming in it turned as naturally to dog-fights as Peter and Brown stalked aggressively about the thoroughfare. Daily we hinted to Happy Dick that Peter's welcome was wearing out, and daily Happy Dick assured us that he couldn't keep him away nohow. But then Happy Dick's efforts to keep him away were peculiar, taking the form of monologues as Peter trotted beside him towards the homestead. Reiterations of, We're not the sort to say enough, are we, Peter? We'll never say die, will we, Peter? We'll win if we don't lose, won't we, Peter? Adding, after his arrival at the homestead, a subdued sss, go it, Peter, whenever Brown appeared in the thoroughfare. But the homestead's hour of triumph was at hand, for as the afternoon wore on, Happy Dick found the very best told recital a poor substitute for the real thing. And thirsting for a further Peter's latest, hissed sss, sss go it peter once too often for well soon afterwards figuratively speaking peter was carried off the field on a stretcher true brown had only one sound leg left to stand on but by propping the other three carefully against it he managed to cut a fairly triumphant figure 
But Brown's victory was not to be all advantage to the homestead, for never again were we to hear Peter's latest. Can't beat the Elsie for a good dogfight, can you, Peter? The Fizzer chuckled, as Peter lay licking his wounds at Happy Dick's feet. But the quarters, feeling the pleasantry ill-timed, delicately led the conversation to cribbage, and at sun-up next morning Happy Dick did a get to his work, with bulging pockets leaving the Fizzer packing up, and declaring that half a day at the Elsie gave a man a fresh start. But Dan also was packing up, a duplicate brought in by the Fizzer having necessitated his presence in Darwin and as he packed up he assured us he would be back in time for the christmas celebrations even if he had to swim for it but before he left he paid a farewell visit to the christmas dinner in case of accidents he explained mightn't see it again looks like another case of one apiece he added surveying with interest the plumpness of six young pullets cheon was cherishing under a coop must have pullet longer clisimus cheon had said and all readily agreeing of course, he had added, must have really good Clisimus, and another hearty, of course, convincing him we were at one with him in the matter of Christmas. He entered into details. Must have big puddin', and almond, and Clisimus cake, and mince pie, he chuckled, and then after confiding to us that he had heard of the prospective glories of a Christmas dinner at the Pine Creek pub, the heathen among us urged us to do honor to the Christian festival. Must have top fellow Clisimus longer Elsie, he said, and even more heartily we agreed, of course, giving Cheon carte blanche to order everything as he wished us to have. We were there to command, we assured him, and accepting our services, Cheon opened the ball by sending the dandy in to the Catherine on a flying visit to do a little shopping, and pending the dandy's return, we sat down and made plans. The house and the quarters should join forces that day, Cheon suggested, and dine under the eastern veranda. No good, two-fellow dinner longer Clisimus, he said, and the blacks, too, must be regaled in their humpy. Must have vealer longer blackfellow Clisimus, Cheon ordered, and Jack's services being bespoken for Christmas Eve to round up a vealer. It was decided to add a haunch of vealer to our menu as a trump card vealers being rarities at pine creek our only regret was that we lived too far from civilization to secure a ham pine creek would certainly have a ham but we had a vealer and faith in cheon and waited expectantly for the dandy sure the elsie would come out top fellow and as we waited for the dandy the line party moved on to our northern boundary taking with it possible christmas guests the fizzer came in and went on to face a merry Christmas with damper and beef served in style on a pack bag, also regretting empty mail bags, the southern mail having been delayed en route. Tam and the sanguine Scott accepted invitations to the Christmas dinner, and the wet broke in one terrific thunderclap as the heavens opened, emptying a deluge over us. In that mighty thunderclap the wet rushed upon us with a roar of falling waters, and with him Billy Muck appeared at the house veranda, dripping like a beaver, to claim further credit. Well, he said again, me rainmaker, eh? And the Maluka shouted above the roar and din, You're the boy for my money, Billy. Keep her going. And Billy kept her going to such purpose that by sunup the billabong was a banker. 
Cheon was moving over the face of the earth with the buoyancy of a child's balloon, and Billy had five inches of rain to his credit. So far, eleven inches was the territory record for one night. Also, the fringe of birds was back at the billabong, having returned with as little warning as it had left, and once more its ceaseless chatter became the undertone of the homestead. At sunup, Cheon had us in his garden, sure now that Pine Creek could not possibly outdo us in vegetables, and the dandy coming in with every commission fulfilled, we felt ham was a mere detail. But Cheon's cup of happiness was to brim over that day, for after answering every question hurled at him, the dandy sang cheerfully. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and dragged forth a ham from its hiding place with a laughing, What a good boy am I! With a swoop, Cheon was on it, and the dandy, trying to regain it, said, Here, hold hard. I've to present it to the missus with a bow and the compliments of mine host. But Cheon would not part with it. And so the missus had the bow and the compliments, and Cheon the ham. Lovingly he patted it and asked us if there ever was such a ham, or ever such a wonderful man as mine host or ever such a fortunate woman as the missus. Had any other woman such a ham or such a friend in need? And bubbling over with affection for the whole world, he sent Jackaroo off for mistletoe. And presently the ham, all brave in Christmas finery, was hanging like a gay wedding bell in the kitchen doorway. Then the kitchen had to be decorated also in mistletoe to make a fitting setting for the ham. And after that the fiat went forth. No one need expect either eggs or cream before Clisimus, excepting, of course, the sick Mac. He must be kept in condition to do justice to our Clisimus fare. What a week it was! All festivities and meagre fare, and whirring egg-beaters, and thunderstorms, and downpours, and watermelon dividends, and daily visits to the vegetable patch, where Happy Dick was assured, during a flying visit, that we were sure of seven varieties of vegetables for Clisimus. But, alas for human certainty, even then swarms of grasshoppers were speeding towards us, and by sundown were with us. In vain Cheon and the staff, the rejected Bet-Bet, every shadow and the missus danced war-dances in the vegetable patch, and chivied and chased and flew always at once. The grasshoppers had found green stuff exactly to their liking, and coming in clouds settled and feasted, and flew upwards and settled back, and feasted and swept on, leaving poor Cheon's heart as barren of hope as the garden was of vegetables, nothing remained but pumpkins, sweet potatoes, and Cheon's tardy watermelons. And the sight of the glaring blotches of pumpkins filled Cheon with fury. Pumpykin for Clisimus, he raved, kicking furiously at the hideous winds. Not if he knew it, and going to some stores left in our care by the line party, he openly stole several tins of preserved vegetables. Must have vegetable longer Clisimus, he said, feeling his theft amply justified by circumstances, but salved his conscience by sending a gift of eggs to the line party as a donation towards its Clisimus. Then, finding everyone sympathetic, he broached a delicate subject. By some freak of chance, he said, 
the missus was the only person who had succeeded in growing good melons this year and taking her to the melon beds which the grasshoppers had also passed by he looked longingly at three great fruits that lay like mossy green boulders among the rich foliage just chance he reiterated and surely the missus would see that chance also favored our clisimus a clisimus without dessert would be no clisimus at all he continued pressing each fruit in turn between loving hands until it squeaked in response him close up ripe missus him sing out he said translating the squeak but the missus appeared strangely inattentive and in desperation cheon humbled himself and apologized handsomely for former scoffings not chance he said but genius never was there white woman like the missus him savvy all about he assured the maluka him plenty savvy garden further she was a woman in a thousand a woman all china would bow down to worth ninety one hundred pounds in any chinese matrimonial market a valuable asset the maluka murmured it was impossible to stand against such flattery billy muck was hastily consulted and out of his generous heart voted two of the mossy boulders to the white folk keeping only one for black fellow all about poor old billy he was to pay dearly for his leaning to the white folk nothing was amiss now but dan's non-appearance and the egg-beater whirring merrily on by christmas eve the dandy and jack coming in with wild duck for breakfast and the vealer found the kitchen full of triumphs and cheon wrestling with an immense pudding four dozen eggs sit down he chuckled beating at the mixture one bottle port wine almond raisin all about more better in pine creek all right and the homestead taking a turn at the beating for luck assured him that it knocked spots off pine creek must have money longer puddin cheon added and our wealth lying also in a checkbook it was not until after a careful hunt that two threepenny bits were produced when one with a hole in it went in for luck and the other followed as an omen for wealth the threepenny bits safely in it took the united efforts of the homestead to get the pudding into a cloth and thence into a boiler while cheon explained that it would have been larger if only we had a larger boiler to hold it as it was it had to be boiled out in the open away from the buildings where cheon had constructed an ingenious trench to protect the fire from rain and wind four dozen eggs in a pudding necessitates an all-night boiling and because of this we offered to share watches with cheon but were routed in a body we were better in bed he said what would happen to his dinner if anyone's appetite failed for want of rest there were too few of us as it was and besides he would have to stay up all night in any case for the mince pies were yet to be made in addition to brownie and other plum pudding for the boys to say nothing of the hop beer which if made too soon would turn with the thunder and if made too late would not jump up in time he did not add that he would have trusted no mortal with the care of the fires that night he did add however that it would be as well to dispatch the vealer overnight and that an early move about foul sing-out would not be amiss and always obedient to cheon's will we all turned in in good time 
and became drowsy dreamed of watching great mobs of vealers with each vealer endowed with a plum pudding for a head end of chapter twenty two